0: My name's Lindsay and I'm a member here at Restored Church. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. We believe that church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. I'd love to be saying this in person, but circumstances have us doing otherwise. So if you'd like to learn more about our church or we can help you in any way, please visit our website, www.RestoredTemecula.Church. And then you can just click on contact there. We also have a mobile app with resources including the Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app at Apple and Android app stores. With that said, thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the message. This week, I watched a movie, shocker, called Shawshank Redemption. Who's watched it? Oh, okay, great. Half the room. Terrific. Okay. So I haven't watched it all the way through, I don't think ever, which is shocking. And after I was done, I was like, this is a masterpiece. Like, it it, it had me like cheering and laughing and on the verge of tears at different points. Like, it is a triumph. Um, If you don't know the story, it follows Andy Dufresne. believe that's how you pronounce it. He is a banker a very successful young banker. I think he's in his early 30s, but he's very accomplished. Uh, He's, as you see as you watch the movie, super smart, shrewd, wicked smart. I think it takes place in New England. And he was married, and this is the 1940s. And for him, life was going well until, and this is typically the beginning of every good story, right? Life was going well until things took a terrible turn for him. He found out that his wife, his young, like beautiful wife, was seeing another man, and he confronted her, she denies it. And so then you have this tension that emerges. One day, his wife and her lover are found dead. And Andy is accused, convicted and sent to prison Shawshank Prison, that's where the name comes from. And he has to serve not one, but two life sentences. That's his lot in life. As you can imagine, prison is is prison. It's brutal, it's terrible. There are things that happen there. He was abused, he was alone, it was awful. And if that wasn't bad enough, here's the thing about the story that really grips you, that really gripped me, is that he didn't do it. He's actually an innocent man. And Shawshank is this dark prison that he goes to. As I was thinking about the movie, as I watched it, it was like it was full of deception. It was a place where deception reigned. Hypocrisy, there's like the worst kind of religious hypocrisy you've ever seen. Murder, there's abuses of power, there was control. People were manipulated into obedience, if you will. And there was an innocent, in, an innocent man who was among all of these prisoners, who had, who had, over the course of time, these prisoners had been hardened by this place, by this darkness. And so Shawshank Redemption really is the story of how, against basically all odds, a camaraderie and a friendship form, and are born in this darkness. And as I was thinking about it, uh, the Bible is really a story about how in this dark world like a ray of light is really dawning. And this light has come to people who are prisoners of sin. The Bible is pretty clear, if you read the Bible for for what it's worth, sin is a It's a master that dominates, and all of us deal with that. All of us are under its grip, in some ways hardened by it, where we just kind of get used to the walls, the prison that we're in, but the Bible's really clear, there is hope in the midst of that, because the darkness is already passing away and the true light is shining, and with it, the most unusual and unexpected camaraderie and friendships form in dark places. So today we're basically going to talk about how that camaraderie and friendship, it really lights up this dark world. And I just want to invite you just to enjoy the glow of that light and to be refreshed today. So Psalm 133, verses 1 to 3, we'll have them up on the screen. If you have your Bible, that's where we're going to be today. Psalm 133, verses 1 to 3. Here we go. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard, onto his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. Really clear, right? Nope. Not at all. Not at all. That's why I'm here. That's why I get paid the big bucks, to explain all this stuff to you guys. Here we go. We're going to use paper. I already regret it. (laughs) Gotta have two hands. Okay, cool. So here's where we're going today. Here's what we're going to unpack. I love lists, so here's the first one you'll see today. Here's my three points for today, or kind of the three things that we're going to talk through. Number one, we're going to talk about the background of the text because if we're real, for 99% of us, what, what was that? What did we just read, right? Background of the text, two pictures and a promise. I tried to alliterate it, couldn't do it couldn't find a p word for background it's not a thing so background of the text number one number two two pictures that we're going to unpack oil and dew number three that promise there at the end so let's start with number one the background of the text and I broke this down into four questions here's your second list of the day four questions this would be slide number three what kind of psalm is this who wrote it when was it written why was it written these are all the questions that I had and I'm sure all of you had right as you're listening to this what kind of psalm is it who wrote it So we're gonna start with number one. What kind of psalm is this? What kind of psalm is this? Okay. The Psalms, or the Psalter, you you might hear it called that, is a songbook, and it's broken up into different sections. And there are these really specific psalms within the Psalter that are called the Songs of Ascent. Anybody heard that term before? Songs of Ascent. There's all different kinds of psalms. These are the Psalms of Ascent. I'm gonna read a quote real quick. you don't have that in the back, I'm just going to read it up here. Psalm 133 is actually the 14th of 15 songs of ascent. Remember, there's 150 psalms, this is 14 out of the 15 in this section within the bigger book of the Psalter. These songs, and this is roughly like Psalm 120 to 134, these songs were most likely sung by pilgrims as they made their way up into Jerusalem to celebrate a number of annual religious festivals, including the Passover the, the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so a little bit of geography for you. This is a specialty of mine. It's not, actually, it's not a specialty of mine. I defer to the experts. Jerusalem apparently sits on a hill. Anybody actually been to Jerusalem before? Okay, one of us. Is it, is it true? Oh, yeah. Yep, hilly. It's up on top of the hill. Yep, very hilly area no airports. Yep. Terrific. So very hilly. It's true. It's confirmed. (laughs) Jerusalem sits on a hill. No matter where one comes from, somebody, you always have to ascend to Jerusalem. You go up the hill. So pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem may have sung the songs of ascent as they were going up the hill. Except for Psalm 132, they're all really brief and easy to memorize. So these are songs that the ancient Jewish people would have had program downloaded into their minds. And I actually was thinking about this. I don't know that we have a lot of those today. I think there was a time in life when, this was probably decades ago, when everybody kind of knew the same music, right? Uh, has anybody ever seen that episode of uh, James... Gordon? Do you know what I'm talking talk about? No. Okay, yep, this is good. Uh, James Corden is a guy who hosts a late night TV show, and he, he does these, like, these episodes where he'll just like, have a famous person sitting in the car. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And they will just kind of like sing songs. Karaoke. Car karaoke. Thank you. Carpool karaoke. See how this illustration is just coming together on the fly? This is great. You guys are a huge help to me. Thank you. So car karaoke, uh, the greatest car karaoke that I've seen at least, and I've seen one. This is a great one. Do you know who he has in the car with him? He's in Liverpool. Guess. Paul, McCartney. Paul the freaking <laughs> Paul McCartney in Liverpool. Do you guys know where the Beatles are from? Liverpool. Liverpool. And they're going back, back to his house where he grew up. It still exists. There's just a lady renting it. And they like knock on the door, it's Paul McCartney. If you guys don't know who Paul McCartney is, just, I just realized that not everyone might know. It's time to get a Spotify account. Look up the Beatles and just start listening. Greatest band of all time, in my humble opinion. And Paul McCartney is their genius songwriter. He partnered with John Lennon on some of the finest tracks ever produced. And so there's a point to this. We're going to get to it, if I can find it. I want you to imagine for a minute that you're in Liverpool and you're having a a beer at the pub, because that's what you do if you're in Liverpool. You have a beer at the pub, and then all of a sudden there's this act that shows up. And the, the curtain's open and it's Paul McCartney. And he starts doing all these songs that, that you grew up with. And it's not just you, but your, your parents grew up with it, your grandparents grew up with it, multi-generational. These songs have been sung over and over and over again. For example, Hey Jude, or The Yellow Submarine. All of these songs, I, hope, I really hope that future generations hold on to this. I teach my kids these, these songs, actually. It's part of what I... I'm, part of my training for them is that they, they get, they, they, they know good music. And one of the most amazing things about this episode is that when you're watching it, people have tears in their eyes. They're crying. Young people, why? Why are they crying? They weren't even around in the 60s. It's because there's a connection that's being made to the past generations. They grew up hearing these songs, and they're hearing it again, and it's just deeply moving. You've got to look it up, James Corden. If you took away nothing from this message today, <laughs> look that up. Best 22 minutes you'll spend this week. So what's my point in saying this? The, the songs do something to us. Singing and the, this generate, multi-generational song where I can be like, hey, Jude. And then you can be like, make it bad. Yep, yep. This is, I'm still waiting for that invite, Mark, to, the, to sing on the team. But there's something that happens. So this song would be one of those. This song would be one of those. And it's kind of like we're going to Liverpool and we're singing Hey Jude in the car. And we're doing like our pilgrimage for the the Beatles. (laughs) But this is the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to pay honor and homage to God who rescued and saved us from from our slavery in Egypt and delivered us and gave us an identity and made us a people. These are the songs of ascent. So... That's what that is. People come together for celebrations and commemorations, acknowledging the goodness and the help of God for the, to the Israelites. So who wrote this psalm? My second question. This psalm is attributed to David. If you don't know who David is, I, have, I can't say it all. There's so much to David's story. He was the man after God's own heart. Maybe you've heard that phrase used before, he was a man after God's own heart. He was a passionate, fiery worshiper, sometimes a tad impulsive, can read about that later. He was a major contributor to the Psalms. He was the king of Israel. And actually, something that's interesting about David's rule is that he ruled over a united Israel. So all of these tribes were united under David. And God made the most outlandish promises since Abraham to David. And there were some really outlandish promises to Abraham. If you don't know that story, he's like, I'm going to give you children. And he's like, my wife is barren. And God's like, I'm going to give you children, and those children, the descendants of those children, are going to be the hope of the are going to have in them the hope of the world. That's where Jesus came from. He's the the great 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 grandchild of Abraham. Ridiculous promises that God made to Abraham. They were just as ridiculous to David. He told David, "I'm going to have you're a king, David. There's going to be a king on my throne forever, who's coming from your family." Out, outlandish promises that God made. So this is a song of ascent from a man who understood God's character and promises. And David wrote good songs. He was a good songwriter. He was McCartney-esque, if you will. He wrote really good music. So when was this written? Short answer, we don't know. There's different options. So whether whether it marked the moment that David had been waiting for, when all of Israel had finally been rallied to him, and God had not given him Jerusalem, or whether this was just like an isolated meditation, we don't know. I love that, when scholars are just like, hmm? But what's, what is clear is that it's a soundtrack of hope. It's a, it's a song of hope. In the, uh, in the Shawshank Redemption, for those of you guys that have watched it, if you haven't watched it, I'm going to try not to ruin it for you. I'm really trying hard to get better at that. Um, in the Shawshank Redemption, uh, there's, some, there's a really interesting scene where... Andy Dufresne, who's this innocent man who's gone to prison, he actually starts to make friends in the prison. He's sort of like Joseph in that. If you guys have ever read the story of Joseph, uh, he gets, gets sent to prison but then rises in really cool ways. Uh, Andy Dufresne is like that. And at one point, he I don't know if he just kind of stops caring about like what's expected of him, but he's, he's kind of like everyone's a prisoner, but he's sort of a free man even though he's in prison. So what he does is like, he ends up getting in, he gets access to, I believe it's the warden's office, or wherever they control the, the PA, the system, where they do announcements to all of the prisoners. And what he does is he locks himself in, he gets a, a record, and he plays this beautiful like opera music. And then he turns it all on. He turns all of the speakers on. So you have this uh, this group of hardened prisoners all of them, are, you know, they're in the prison yard they're in different places and they all stop and they look up and there's this sound this beautiful music beautiful, elegant wonderful music and it's like a, it's like a break from the, from the realities, of like prison life and everybody looks up together and he ends up, I think he gets like a week in the hole for that Uh, just in utter darkness, and it was just, like, totally worth it to him. But here's what he said. Why did he do that? Andy says, that's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. No matter what happens, they can't get it from you. They cannot take that away. And then he talks to Red. Red is his friend. He's got other friends, too, but Red is, like, the... It's Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman just a boss of an actor. He's, he's a friend and, and Red says, I played a mean harmonica as a younger man. I lost interest in it though. It doesn't make a lot of sense to play music here. And Red is a guy who'd been hardened by prison and he was losing hope. He's actually becoming cynical. And Andy says, here's where it makes the most sense, man. You need it so you don't forget. You need this music so you don't forget. Forget what? Forget that there are places in this world that aren't made out of stone, that aren't a prison that there's something inside that, you can't, that they can't get to, they can't touch, that's yours. And Red says, what are you talking about? He says, hope. These are songs of hope. No matter what's happening, the Psalms and the Psalter, especially these Psalms of Ascent are songs of hope. No matter what is happening, no matter what the people of God are going through, as they're singing these songs, they're filling themselves up with hope. They're being reminded of what's true. And hope is something that, no matter what, believe it or not, this is a part of the power of the gospel of Jesus. Disciples all around the world who have been in hopeless situations have held on to hope. And it is one of the greatest witnesses, testimonies, indicators of God's work in this world. When you're in a hopeless situation, but you still have hope. You read stories of people in China going through terrible persecution who hold on to hope. You read stories in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in prison. What is he doing in prison? Anybody remember this? He's singing. He's singing. They can never take that hope from you. And these are songs to to remind you, like, they can never take that hope from you. So when was it written? But why was it written? Why was it written? It was a short psalm that explained how wonderful it is for believers to dwell together in unity. When these, these people would make their pilgrimages up to the religious festivals, they came together to worship God, and they had hope. That's why they were written. So I want you to think about this like a road trip. Like a road trip. Any of you guys grow up doing road trips to different places? Yeah. Any any locations that you remember going to? Yosemite. North Dakota. Didn't see, should have seen that one coming. Didn't see that one coming. Any picturesque places that anybody went to? Grand Grand Canyon. Okay, cool. So there's some, is anybody doing family road trips now? Okay, great. So we've got a few, few families. Okay, so um, I haven't done one of these in a long time, but I imagine it gets pretty. If you have a, if you're with your siblings in the back, what tends to happen? What's that? I heard different things. Fighting, fighting. I didn't hear. It. What? What's that? Bloodbath. Thank you. <laughs> yep, that's good. It's honest. Yeah. There's fighting, there's bloodbaths, right? So, so, is great. So, can, can we go back to Psalm 133, verse 1? How good and pleasant is it when brothers live in harmony? Now, imagine if that's what your parents drill into you, and you're going on these road trips up to Jerusalem, up the hill. Apparently, it's hilly there, for real how good and how pleasant it is for your brothers to live forth and, and then your, you know, your parents driving the whatever. Your parents riding the donkey in the front and then there's like three donkeys behind. There's the two kids who are fighting and it's about to turn into a bloodbath and the parent looks back and is like, how good and how pleasant when brothers live together in harmony and they know that they have to respond with that. Like this is the kind of thing I think that was going on. I think this is why we have these Psalms because issues arise. There's tension, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But that's what it is. It's a road trip. If you're Roman Catholic, where do you go? Where's, like, the pilgrimage? One of the main ones, you you go to Rome. There's actually different pilgrimages in different places in, in Spain, but you go there. If you're Muslim, where's the pilgrimage to? There's different holy sites, but who said it? Mecca. So this is Jerusalem, and there's fights along the way, but this is what that psalm was meant to address. It's the soundtrack. Here's my point. Slide number four in the back. What is Psalm 133? It's the soundtrack of the ancient Jewish family road trip to Jerusalem. That's what this is. And the songs are good. McCartney-esque. They're terrific. Okay, so that's the background of this text. Let's go on to number two, the two pictures. Because I've said all this, and I still haven't answered. Why are we talking about oil and dew? Pretty weird, right? Psalm 133, verses two to three. This is slide five. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. Okay. Two pictures. What do they mean? This is slide six. So we've got a couple of things. We've got oil and we've got dew. There are some similarities. Did Anybody notice this? What's the direction? Down. The oil flowing down from Aaron's head, his beard, his robes. And then number two, the dew, it's flowing down from Mount Hermon to Jerusalem. Has anybody been to Mount Hermon? I think there's only one possibility here. Okay, cool. So here's the thing. Uh, Mount Hermon, or Hermon, Hermon, it's Mount Hermon. The uh, The distance between these two places make it uh, basically impossible for the dew of of Hermon to flow down to Jerusalem. It's like 120 miles uh, or more. So it's like from the dew of Los Angeles flowing down to San Diego. It's like, no? (laughs) So when you read these commentaries, they're like, we don't know. So there's educated guesses everywhere as to what this means. But let's go to slide seven. So I've spent... Hours reading about this, this is what I got. Precious oil is a picture of abundance. It's a picture of abundance. And the people, the ancient Israelites, they were a people who were dependent on what they grew and what they raised. So this isn't, uh, this isn't 21st century America or in most of the world where you go to a market to buy food. Here, um, some, of you, some of you know your farmer, some of you are related to your farmer, some of you are married to your farmer. But for the vast majority of us, we don't know our farmer. Back then, you were your farmer. You and your family and your six children, whatever, that's, you were like working the ground to raise pro, you know, livestock and produce so you could eat and survive. Starvation was never far away for these, peop- for, for these people. Um, Again, there's a a gap here because we're 21st century of Americans. This feels pretty distant, but they were dependent on rain, dew, and snow melt. The the mountain of Mount Hermon, believe it or not, is such a unique place. I watched a whole video on it this week. Um, Do you guys think there's snow in the Middle East in Israel? There is. Where is it? Mount Mount Hermon. Very good. There's not, a, there's not like a drop of snow, there's not a snowflake in Israel, but there's this mountain that's snow-covered. People ski there. It's, it's, they have, uh, I can't get into it, they have Israeli soldiers on skis, patrolling, because it's really close to the international border, so they're like, do we need skilled you know, marksmen, or do we need skilled skiers that we could teach to shoot a gun? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Let's just see what happens. So you literally have people who are, like, learning how to ski with their machine gun. Um, Back to this. Um, The point is that oil, olive oil, was you, you needed it. You needed olive oil. You needed the rain, the dew, and the snow melt from Mount Hermon in order to raise livestock, in order to have what you need. And that dew, where does it come from? It's sent from above. It's dew that's sent from above. So here's here's where I think the rubber meets the road. Let's go to slide eight real quick. So think back to what I was talking about, the ancient Israelite road trip. Tension is forming. Tension breaks out amongst family members. They're going up onto the mountain. There's all kinds of problems. Um, Slide eight, this is a quote from John Gay who wrote uh, a book, a commentary on the Psalms. I'm going to read it. Simmering family tensions would have plenty of opportunity to receive expression. Competition for scarce resources, such as places to stay and even supplies of water, would encourage tension between the different groups who were making their ascent, right, up to Jerusalem. Rivalries between clans would also have an opportunity to find expression. So there's a, a sense of lack in some cases, like, we need this dew, we need this rain in order to have enough for everybody. And so it was a picture of, the, I think, the tension that would happen when you're going up the hill and there's all these different people there. A lot of people descending on a small area causes tension. And so I think in a, in a big way, like what God is saying through this psalm is that there's going to be enough. I provide it. There's going to be enough. I provide it. I was talking to my, uh, my mom, who is here from Puerto Rico, and uh, she told me a story, unprompted, she just told me, uh, a story of like my family's Easter in Puerto Rico, which I was not a part of. But um, it's, it's a familiar story. You've got all different members of your family under one roof. There's kids around. Uh, and eventually, somebody says something, something snippy. There's, something's not fair. They're not sharing. And then the fists come out. And then, yes. So that's, that was Easter, 2022, for the Rivera family in Cabo Rojo, Puerto Rico. And my mom was telling me this story. And I started thinking about this text, because I'm obviously studying it this week. And it, here's what ended up happening. This fight breaks out. One of the adults stepped in, I think, trying to come to the rescue, and then ruined everything. Just made it so much worse. To the point where one of my uncles did an Irish goodbye, one of those like Homer Simpson, like, emerged, like dis, you know disappearing into the, the bush, and he's like, "Where's Carly?" It's like, "I don't know." He left, which is what I should have done, because <laughs> chaos descended on our fa- on our family Easter, and I think that's a big part of what this whole psalm is addressing. It's that peace and unity is really hard, but when it is available to us, when we do find it. It is a gift from heaven. It's very easy to lose. Very, very easy. So slide number 10. Here's what I think these two pictures mean. The two pictures, what do they mean? God gives us everything we need to stay together. That's my second point if you're taking notes. God gives us everything we need to stay together. Just like he provides the dew of Hermon, just like he provides the rain, just like he provides the... the oil and abundance for people who need it. So he provides us everything that we need to stay together. And it basically doesn't matter like where you are. God provided enough in the desert, in the wilderness for his people. Um, Andy Dufresne, again going back to Shawshank Redemption, some amazing things start to happen to this guy in prison. Uh, he was a banker and he was really good at his job. And so what he starts doing is he starts to, he's in prison He's deprived of everything, basically, but he has hope. And he's operating as a free man within this prison wall. And what he starts doing is he starts to serve the people who are his, I guess, his jailers. And he starts to do their taxes, because he's really good at that. And he starts to basically help these people do their taxes, save money in different ways. He, like, finds them exemptions. I don't know if you've ever worked with an accountant that you're just like, oh, my gosh, you are so helpful. You just found this random exemption, or you're up to date on the latest, you know, the latest changes to the tax code, and they just find you ways to save money. So Andy Dufresne starts to do that. And what he starts to do is he starts to generously leverage all that he has to bless other people. That's what he does, including his jailers. And he uses all that he has to do that. And it it felt to me like such a good picture of like God giving us everything we need to stay together no matter where we are. He's given each of us individual gifts, talents, opportunities, and you can use them wherever you are, in whatever relationship you're in, no matter what the situation is. And believe it or not, like with a little creativity led by the Spirit of God, you could bring the people who would otherwise be totally separate, driven apart, could actually come together in beautiful ways, because God gives us everything that we need to stick together. And then the most amazing things happen. If you watch the movie, uh, there's a storage closet. What does it become? Through Andy. A storage closet becomes a library. Those of you guys that have seen it, maybe you don't remember this, but there's literally a storage closet that's, like, gross. It smells. There's, like, rat dropping. It's just a disaster. And then because he asks, he, like, leverages all that he has, he starts writing letters to the government Every, I think it's every week. He just writes a letter, writes a letter, writes a letter. We need a library. We need books for these inmates. We need educational opportunities. And nothing, 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 nothing. And then eventually, they start sending him books. And they're like, please stop writing. Here's what you, you know? And he keeps going. And eventually, they supply everything. What's What's my point here? Whatever situation we face, we actually have our God who can supply us with everything. As we ask him. As we ask Him, there's going to be situations that you face that are bigger than you, that are you don't see like a way through it, that may be hurting people and maybe driving people apart, and you're in the middle of it, and you're actually there to make peace, you're actually there to be a peacemaker. That's a part of the identity of a disciple, is to be a peacemaker. And God has given us everything that we need, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But just before this moment passes, I just want to encourage you: ask for what you need. Write letters to God, if you will, and don't stop until he provides an answer. And you never know the ways that God can turn a dark, messy situation into something beautiful that actually blesses other people. Because he supplies everything we need to stay together and flourish. This is, a, this is a psalm about human flourishing as well. Okay, so slide number 11. What does the promise mean for us today? What does this promise mean for us today? And if you're writing, if you're taking notes, unity is a gift that we unpack together. Unity is a gift that we unpack together. So this is, I guess I forgot to mention this, this is point number three, if you're taking notes. Good luck today, by the way. I'm, see, never using this again. Uh, Just kidding, I am gonna use this again. Thank you. this is point number three. The promise is that essentially what it means for us is that unity is a gift that we get to unpack together. What do I mean? I want you to imagine for a minute um, a box. If you can do this with me, just like literally imagine a box. Uh, let's say that it's got gift wrap. Let's say it's a birthday present. Let's say it's about yay big and about yay deep. And it's on a table. And in that box, on that table, is everything you need for a specific situation that's painful, hard, or messy. Can you imagine that with me for a second? It's hard because this is an imaginary box. I was actually thinking about bringing a real box to make my imaginary point, but I didn't. So we're just going to have to imagine it with me. So this box, inside is everything you need. But here's the thing. Unity is a gift that we unpack together. So let's say the issue is with your spouse, maybe it's somebody in this community, maybe it's with a family member, whatever the case may be. There's some sort of conflict, some sort of tension. We're on our way to Jerusalem, and we're singing these songs, but it's like, you know, I hate you type of thing. <laughs> a bit extreme, but sometimes, you know, that's what's going on in our hearts. It's true. Um, we're singing, but there's clearly uh, something amiss in our relationships. And you're sitting in front of this box on a table, the other person, there's another person required and possibly multiple people required to actually unbox and benefit from this gift. Unity is a gift that we unpack together. It can't be done in isolation. It cannot be done alone when there's issues. Let me give you some verses to, to, to show this. So Colossians 3 Verses 11 to 15. If I can just say this, this is a very helpful thing if you guys give me your attention for just a second. As you're reading the New Testament, I want you to think about one thing and kind of download this or upload this into your mind. A lot of what the New Testament is addressing is division. I'm gonna say that again. A lot of what the New Testament is addressing is division. Division between God's people a lot of the time or just division in our world in general. And there's often this emphasis on unity. You'll see this in Colossians, in Ephesians, in Romans. Once you think about it that way, you're going to see it everywhere. So in Colossians, read these verses again, if you maybe you've read them before, read this again with that in mind. Division around, along ethnic lines, division around political lines, division around gender, division around almost anything. In Christ, here's the present, here's the gift, Jesus. We're going to get to him in a moment. There is not Greek and Jew. There's no circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. Maybe today, the Apostle Paul would have said, there's no Republican or Democrat. There's, you know, like, these things that would fracture us are not a thing. In Christ, for those of us who unpack the box and sit at the table, Therefore, and here's, here's unpacking the gift, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly, lo- dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, if you have a complaint, if you have beef with someone, bearing with them, just as the Lord, and here's the gift, has forgiven you, so you are also to Forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. That's the gift. You unpack it, and you begin to draw out all of the rich implications of what Jesus has done. You can't do it alone. It takes, it takes all the people involved. And whatever rift, whatever potential division, along whatever line, disagreement, you unpack it together. And it creates friendship in the darkest places you could ever imagine. Jew and Greek, there's ancient hatred, ancient beef there. But in Christ, there are one people. What if the church was the place where instead of fracturing along these different lines, was a place where people who believed differently about things like politics, economics, some policies, could actually gather around the table and be like, I don't just really agree, but I love you and I'm for you. And Jesus has allowed us to stick together because he's given us himself. He's forgiven us. Hey, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're sinners, let's be gentle with each other. Let's be patient. Let's seek to understand each other. Let's bear with one another and forgive each other. What would that be like? I just want you to take a second just to think about it. What would that be like? What do you think would happen? This is interactive. I'm literally asking for answers right now. What do you think it would be like if the church was the place where people didn't fracture along those things but actually united around Jesus? amidst the diversity of opinions on different secondary issues. What do you think that would be like? It would draw outsiders in. Great. Deeper, more meaningful relationships. Yes. What else? These are great. Growth. Growth. Yes. Deeper relationships. Growth. Being light in a dark place. Who wants that? Yeah, four of us, six of us. All right. I think more of us, I just don't, yeah, that wasn't a rhetorical question. That was actually like, I raise your hand, but that's fine. Um, This is the gift. Unity is a gift that we have to unpack together, and there's no way around it. It's something that we have to do together. It's the gift that Jesus has given us. I want to go over to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. This is slide number 14 uh, back there, Everett. Thank you. You're doing a great job, by the way, back there. That's Everett, who will be going to camp. Who will be going to camp this week. Okay, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete. This is the Apostle Paul writing to this church in Philippi. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That doesn't mean that we have to agree on every single issue. It means that we have one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. The gift. Why? Let's go to the next verse. Everybody should look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. The gift. Jesus has given us everything that we need in order to stick together. And he did that. I'll skip down to verse seven. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. We'll keep going. Taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So Jesus, the man who embodied this gift, loved his enemies so much that he died for them. And if you believe the Bible story, that means that you and I are a part of that group of enemies who are now being called to become friends. And God has given us in the Messiah, in his life, his death, his resurrection, his indwelling presence in us, the spirit comes to live in us and and he lives in the church. He's given us everything that we need to be united, to become humble, gentle, generous, kind people. We have it all. It doesn't always feel that way, does it? Oftentimes it feels like this is impossible. And the truth is it is. The truth is that it is, apart from him. But if you have two people or three people or however many people you need at the table, unpacking the box humbly, drawing out all of the riches of Jesus, his love, his forgiveness, his tenderness, his patience with us, then there's just no way that we can stay in, ever in a spot of, like, hatred for other people. It's just not, it's not possible. It can't be done. And if you're like, well, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, First John. If someone hates their brother... Everett, if we could go back, slide 15, actually. Slide 15. This is the rest of this passage in Philippians. I think there's something really important here. Philippians 2, 12 to 16. And basically what the Apostle Paul does in these verses is that he says something profound, something spectacular. Very similar, very, very similar to what we've been talking about. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now in my presence, even more in my absence. So he was with these people and now he's not with them anymore. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. That's a pretty cool verse. Who here likes that verse? I'm into that, right? If you're a disciple, you're into this too. What's the context though? What does he say right away? Do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Let's keep going. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. Light of the world. Do you see that? This is God's intent for his people to be a people who love one another so much that they shine like light in the world. Andy Dufresne, go back one last time to the Shawshank Redemption. One of the reasons I was so moved by this movie is that it's so clear that in this place, in this darkness, he shined. Like, he shined. He leveraged everything that he had, he used it for other people to benefit and bless other people. And there's this powerful moment in the movie where he's talking to Red, his friend. So this camaraderie and this friendship that had formed in this really dark place, it found its fullest expression in this moment where Andy says to Red, paraphrasing basically, but he says, there's going to be, I have something for you. It's going to be in this place. And he gave him like a specific location. It's like under this tree, around the corner, you know, this is all before GPS, so I don't know how he found it. But it's like, once you get out of here, go to this place, and there's going to be something there for you. And Red gets out of this prison. He's released. And what he ends up doing is he goes through the same sad, discouraging process that other people have gone before him. He goes on parole. He has to get a job, bagging groceries. He lives in this awful place that actually one of the people who had been released, lived in his well, and he actually took his own life. Like, he, he lost hope. He had no hope. So even being outside of the prison, he was still in prison. And Red was heading down that path, but he met Andy, this, this guy who was like light and darkness, and he decided, I'm not going to give up. I'm actually going to go to this place. And so Red makes his way. It's a bit of a journey, but he gets out there into this kind of faraway place in the middle of nowhere, and there is something there waiting for him. It's a gift. It's a box. And in that box is literally everything that Red needs in order to reconnect with Andy and to begin this life of friendship and hope and camaraderie outside of the prison walls. And he does it. And he actually follows through. Why do I mention this? I think that today we have to remember this. Jesus has given us everything that we need. But we actually have to go grab that Unity is a gift that's meant to be opened together. We actually have to grab it, and we have to open it, and we have to work it out. So it's a gift, and the, the psalm itself, did you guys notice that there's no like, command in that psalm? Fascinating. There's nothing negative or anything, you're not told to do anything. It's just like, how good? It's like this, it's like this, it's like this. And then it doesn't really explain it, but then it says there's this promise that God has commanded life forevermore. We who are disciples, and by the way, if you're not a disciple, you're invited to this too. We are all on our way, if you will, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place, essentially, where heaven and earth meet. And it's a space where God and humanity are meant to live together forever. And the only way through it is to unpack this gift and learn how to be a people who are light in this world, who learn how to actually become peacemakers. So not people who like my, my family in Puerto Rico, which this is, this is all of us, I'm not, it's not here to bash them, break peace. It's not to be people who are peacekeepers, who just pretend everything is fine. It's neither of those things. It's actually people who make peace, who unbox the unity that God has given us and use it. So I just want to, I'm going to call the band up. I just want to ask you a question, like is there an area of your life where you need the gift of Jesus The gift of unity to impact. Is there a relationship? Is there someone that you know like this relationship isn't right? I wanna encourage you, like today might be your invitation. Jesus might be telling you, you got everything you need. Invite me into it. And invite other people if you can't figure it out into it. And we're gonna make, we can make peace. And that is how you shine as a light in the world. So I'm gonna encourage you to stand up if you're able. And I want to put three, three ways to respond in front of you. We're basically, we're basically done. Three ways to respond. Number one, sing. Because this is a song. We were just literally talking about the soundtrack, the family road trip to Jerusalem. You and I, we're a family on our way to Jerusalem, if you will. Not literally to Jerusalem, but the spiritual Jerusalem, if you will, a place where God and man will dwell together forever. That's the promise of the scriptures that is offered out to every single person. And if, by the way, if you're here and you don't, you don't know if that's the direction that you're heading, you can, you can start that today. Like you, you can ask Jesus for his forgiveness. You can ask Jesus for his grace and you can become a disciple today. There's like nothing holding you back. But There doesn't need to be anything holding you back, I should say. We are disciples on our way to the heavenly Jerusalem, so today we get to join with David, we get to join with Israel, historic, across the ages, and just sing and thank God that it's good for us to dwell together in unity and that we have everything that we need. So that's the first thing, sing. Number two is seek. I did alliterate this one. Seek, what do I mean by that? There might be a person that God might be putting on your heart even right now to seek out, to unbox to unpack this gift of unity with. I want to encourage everybody to sing. I want to encourage you, if you feel like there's a person that's coming to mind, don't dismiss that. It's unlikely that that would come out of a place of pride. Pride is usually dismissive of people. It assumes the worst. It doesn't give people the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't care. It just focuses on on how I've been wronged. If there's someone that you feel like, oh, this relationship isn't right, but I feel like I want to make this right, seek them out. He's given you everything you need. We have what we need. That would be the song. If I was the songwriter now, he gave us what we need. It's not a very compelling song, but that's my 21st century take of Psalm 133. He's given us what we need. He's given us what we need. We have what we need. And you can be there like, we have what we need. We have what we need with your sister or your brother, and that's fine, but like get off the camel or the donkey, I should say. They didn't have camels. I think those were unclean. Get off the donkey and like seek them out. You have what you need. I'm not going into songwriting. It's fine. Sing, seek, and then suffer. This is the least fun one, and I'll save it for the end. But it's also maybe the most important one. Uh, some of you in this room, or who are going to hear this, this later on, you have relationships where if it was up to you, they would already be reconciled. But they're not. Because the reality is it takes two to sit down at the table and unpack. And sometimes people are like, I don't want to. Sometimes people are like, nope, not doing it. That happens. If you're a disciple, it's just a matter of time before that happens to you. And it's really painful, and it's really messy, and it really hurts. I've seen God turn these situations around, so I'm I'm not saying this to deflate you. I'm just saying there could be a season to suffer with Jesus who gave his life for the world, for his enemies, but there are still people in this world who will not be reconciled to him. And he can sit with you in that pain and suffering and he can love you through it. And you can actually become more like him as you suffer through the pain of disunity. So sing, so I'm going to hand it off to the band here in a second. Some of you seek, others of you, it's suffering. It's bearing with people who don't want to be in relationship with you. And Jesus can meet you right there. This is a unique Sunday. Heidi and Lisa oversee our prayer team. And they are not here. Do we have a prayer team? Yes. Get on over there, guys. <laughs> Vinny for the win. I'm usually looking to that to Heidi and Lisa. So they're not here, so I'm I'm lost. Love you, ladies, if you hear this. So the God, So there's going to be people who can pray for you if you are if you need help to seek someone out that you are not in right relationship with, or if you're just sad. Because this is triggering the pain of having unreconciled relationships. These are safe men and women who would love to pray for you so that you can experience the goodness of and sweetness of relationship with Jesus today. So let's sing to him, and then I'll be back up here in a few minutes to close us out. Thank you. I thank you that you never change. The same God who saved the people of Israel out of oppression and sent those same people into the world to be light and bring hope. You're the same God today. And you have offered us a new life with salvation, with restoration, with unity, so that we might be light in this world, that we might point to the light of the world, Jesus, and that we might bring hope to people who may not have hope. Or who are holding on to false hopes that will be ultimately disappointing to them. So we thank you that you are the God who loves us, sent your son for us. And I pray that you would help us today, right now even, to know how you want us to respond to this message. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. All right, so um, as I I was praying over here, uh, I was thinking, I was deep in thought, and I was thinking about this song that Adam Sandler sang in The Wedding Singer, and uh, any Sandler fans out there? There's a couple. I see some hands. Uh, Some of you guys don't like them. That's fine but he he was a guy in this movie the wedding singer who actually went through a really painful situation his wife his well fiance stood him up at the altar left him and he went he spiraled into like a deep depression i don't know if you remember this but he he was if you've seen the movie he was singing at the wedding he was singing at weddings before his own wedding and he was like happy and excited cheerful joyful they were like, man, what a wedding singer! He would come in for the rescue and the save when weird, you know, toasts would happen and people would get drunk and do weird things. But he'd come in; and he was gracious and he set a good uh, tone for these weddings. But then after he went through this terrible situation, he actually became like embittered. I don't know if you remember this, but he's singing a song and he goes up to the, the husband and the and the, and the new wife, his new bride, and he's singing the song and he's like, "I hate you." Remember this? "I hate you so much." <laughs> It's funny. It's funnier actually, than it sounds. I'm not doing a great job of drawing out the humor, but it's there, and it's stellar. And why am I telling you this? I think that for some of us, we have gone through so much hurt and pain in life, so much disappointment, that it's very hard to sing. And I feel like I just want to acknowledge that. That for you, maybe because of different life circumstances, you've been through pain and hurt that you've experienced. Maybe even at the hands of the church or hands of people that you trusted or people that you'd hope would be there for you that weren't, or family that was dysfunctional, or whatever the case may be. I think, I think that was God speak. God speaks to us, and you know, like a father does to his kids, in ways that they can understand. And He knows that I get Sandler, so I think that was His way of saying, like, there's people in this room that might be you today, where it's just really hard. To talk about unity, it's really hard because you've just been through a hard time. I'm not saying that you hate people, by the way. It's just a, just a metaphor. It's a joke. Um, but you might have a hard time pursuing unity together. And I just want you to know if that's you, we would love to serve you and help you in whatever way that we can. Oftentimes, especially if you've experienced, um, well, really any kind of pain and hurt, the way that you heal is in relationships that are healthy. So if you've experienced pain and hurt in family, you need like a healthy family experience. If you've experienced pain and hurt in the church, what you need is a healthy church experience. And that song could actually potentially return over time to you. So I want to put that out there, and we'd love to help you. If that resonates with you, we're going to have people available to pray, and I'd love to pray with you as well, if that's you. A um, couple of the things that I was thinking about. So a couple of big ideas today, like he's given us what we need. That's an easy handle. If you, if you want to write something down or hold on to it, like he's given us what we need. When you experience trouble with people, when you experience trouble with your... Um, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your spouse, especially with someone in this room, because we're all here like learning how to follow Jesus together. Like You have what you need, and unity is a gift that you unpack with people, not alone. So with that said, I want to get practical. I want to just give you guys two quick things to think about as you head into your week. Number one, preventative work. Uh, where are firemen? Joel. Um, I should have asked before, because I'm just going to try to explain this, but you can, you can check me if this is wrong. I think that there are things that, that firefighters can do to help with fires before they happen. Is that Rachel? There's work that can be done. Like, you can actually do preventative care so that the fires will not be as bad. True? True. True. Confirmed. Not Hermon is real. You can prevent fires, or at least do some preventative work. I think that one of the things that we are called into as a church is preventative work. I'm talking about having conversations before things get crazy. Like the second that you notice some distance starting to form, or that something like just strikes you as off, go to that person. It doesn't even have to be with you. It might be like that you see things happening with other people. You're a peacemaker. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are called to do preventative work. And oftentimes, I'm hoping that it's not like the big things where we're putting out huge fires, but rather just like, hey, can we talk about that? I noticed something. I would rather, and this is something um, that could be helpful to think about, I would rather look and feel insecure to people and be like, are we okay? And then be like, we're fine. And be like, okay, pray for me because I'm insecure, clearly. I would rather have that than to not pay attention to something or assume things are cool when they're not. So I'm just going to ask you, like, is, that, is that you too? I hope it would be, I'm gonna invite you into that. Preventative work, clarifying conversations before things get crazy. And just doing good to people. All of these things I think are preventative work. Looking out for each other, caring for each other, not assuming the worst, because that doesn't help anybody, but assuming the best and giving people the benefit of the doubt until it's very clear that they forfeit it. And even so, we still wanna be gracious and kind. So preventative work will go a long way. Number two, though, I was driving uh, through Crown Hill, which is where we live, about two weeks ago. And I noticed black smoke in Crown Hill, which I was like, holy, this is a fire in my neighborhood. Did anybody see that that day? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. It, wasn't, it didn't get huge, thankfully. But I was the second person on the scene. And as I was driving down, I think it's Royal Crest Place, I think is the street, and I looked over, I saw the, the, the plumes from Butterfield Stagecoach, and then when I turn on, on Royal Crest or whatever, I saw the fire, I saw flames in my neighborhood. There's like this little brush, this little patch, flames that were taller than I am. And I was like, how is this happening? And I was so confused, I didn't even know what to do. Then I was like, oh, maybe I should call 911. And I looked over and there's a guy across the street, he's like, I got it. We had already called emergency uh, services. And I was like, two things, man. I'm really glad that this was during the day because somebody saw it and that this thing didn't just burn out of control overnight. But number two, that guy treated an emergency like an emergency. And it could have, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it got pretty close to houses. He might have saved property. He could have saved lives. What's my point in telling you this? I think there's, it's okay for us When we see, I preached a message where I talked about the fires of anger. When we see fire, it's okay to, like, say it. It's okay to treat it as an emergency. If there's relational destruction that's happening in front of you, there's fires. Like, it's okay to be like, hold on, like, to pray and move. Because fire can consume quickly and destroy very quickly. And anger and all the things that we read about, the other side of making peace, it destroys relationships very quickly. So I just want to encourage you: preventative work, and then if you see a fire, call nine one one. That's when you activate uh, prayer. That's when you pull people in pastorally. I'm here for the summer. Tom and I normally are here together. We want to help make you. We want to help you become peacemakers. That is a huge part of what we're doing. Now, imagine if we're the kind of community that does that. And we're almost done. Imagine if we're the kind of community that takes preventative work seriously, and that we call. When there's an emergency, relationally, we treat it as such. We would be the kind of people, I think, who would become light in this world. And there could be people that are headed to death that find life here. Just like Andy Dufresne, Red. Red was on his way to death, but he met Andy, who carried this light, this hope within him, and his life was spared, and it was saved. Very much in a similar way, I hope this is, I think it has been, and I want to encourage you guys, I think it has been, I hope it increasingly becomes the kind of place where people who are headed to death find life. If that happens, I was thinking about it, and this is what I'm gonna close with. I was in Cork, Ireland, back in 2005. And Ireland is really interesting. I was living in Madrid at the time, and in Madrid, the places never close. The clubs are open pretty much all night. They have after clubs, which is real, it's, it's real wild. Where it's sort of like, it's, it's 9 o'clock. Shouldn't we be eating breakfast? Nope, we're going to the club. That was the thing. Like a real thing in Spain. Anyway, so that's where I did my study abroad. I was a college student, not a follower of Jesus. You, know, you can make, use your imagination. When I went to Cork, I feel like places close at like 930 30. They were like, last call. It's like, wait a minute. We haven't even eaten dinner yet in Spain. This place is closing, So, which I was actually thrilled about, and here's why. I was in Cork. I was with a few of my friends from a college because this was a study abroad program. And it, when, it, when it came time to close, all of the Irish people stood up, and they played Hey Jude. Everybody went like this, linked up. Not like a grappling match, but like a... And everybody sang Hey Jude. Hey Jude is like a seven or eight minute song. They didn't cut it. There was like 40 na-na-na-nas, they didn't stop. But I was looking around, and so you have people from Ireland, you have Americans, you have this Puerto Rican kid. I'm like, what am I doing here? This is bizarre. But it it made me realize, again, Hey Jude is a good example of a song that unites the nations, right? It's a song that we carry, that evokes, like, joy. And what we read about today is a song that actually unites the nations. He's given us what we need. We have all we need. We have all we need. And if we actually believe that that's true, we can be the kind of people who celebrate all the time. Who link arms with people we don't agree with on different things, but we're like, I love you and I'm for you. Let's sing. Hey, Ju-, you know, whatever. Whatever the He's you know, he's given us what we need. This terrible song that I'm gonna copyright after today. So that's my that's my big thing, like light of the world. We get to be that with Jesus' help as we unpack the gift of unity and believe that he's given us all that we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good and that you are with us. Thank you that you are for us. I thank you that you've given us everything that we need. I thank you that unity is a, really is a gift that we unpack together. And I thank you that you, you're a good fireman. And that you love preventative work. You respond quickly to emergencies. And I just pray that we would learn how to be your partners in that. In fighting the fires of conflict on the one hand, and on the other hand, being the kind of people who celebrate and get down in the best way. with the with, Like we party hard. Not in, in drunkenness and, and rebellion, but rather like we, we just celebrate. Like we can sing. Like we're a happy people because you've given us all we need. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Alright guys, we are done. It is 12 o'clock, so on the dot. If you have children, please go grab them from Kids Ministry. If you have any questions or anything you want to talk about, I'll be right here. would love to connect with you. Enjoy your Sunday. and We'll be back next week. Grant Clark will be preaching.